You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Today's scripture comes from Daniel 2, verses 31 through 35, which is page 738 in your Pew Bible. You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Please be seated. Good morning. So I came across a story a little while ago, uh, some time ago, about this, uh, about Alexander. Alexander longed to uh, see the king in his region. When he was a kid, he, he uh, missed the opportunity to see the king. And it's the king made kind of a parade through his, his community, through his town, and, uh, and just longed, longed for the day where he might be able to see the king, you know, uh, up close. And he learned that the king was going to be visiting in the near future to their town, and uh, so he was anticipating that. His, his uh, neighbor came running to his home just out of breath, and he said, the king is coming, the king is coming, and, and so let's go, go see the king. So Alexander rushed to the, uh, to the area where, where the king would eventually make his, his, his progression or his parade, his parade would go past in that, you know, on that street. And uh, as uh, off in the distance, Alexander could see the king coming. There were all these horses that preceded the king. And as he got closer, Alexander was captivated by the horses. He just couldn't believe these, these were horses that, that were bigger than any other horse that he'd ever seen. Uh, the, 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 how they were draped was amazing. How the sun shone, you know, just reflected off of uh, these horses. Just these horses were beautiful. They were magnificent. Uh, he had never seen anything like these horses before. And, uh, and so as he's admiring the horses, his, his neighbor, his friend said, so what did you think of the king? And to Alexander's horror, he realized he completely missed the king. He was so captivated, so caught up by the horses, he ignored the king. And so I, when I read that story, it reminds me of how, it reminded me of how we uh, approach prophetic scripture. We can get so captivated looking at the horses that we miss the point of prophetic scripture, which is the king. That's the point. The point is the king is coming. The point is in light of the king coming, it should affect the way we live our lives. Uh, there are all kinds of books on you know, who the next Antichrist is, uh, you know, uh, how the world's going to end, and, and all this stuff. And all that is is just horses. I'm not saying you shouldn't read some of that stuff, uh, some of it you shouldn't read. Uh, like when I was, shortly after I became a Christian, my dad came up with a book. He was reading a book uh, by a guy by the name of Howard P Camping, who um, 
I believe it was a false teacher, actually, I think. But he, but he had a radio program on a Christian radio station uh, in the East Coast, and it was on how, I forget what year, um, I think it was like, you know, the end of the world is coming in 1994 or something like that. I'm like, Dad, throw it away. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Jesus said nobody will know the times or the dates except for the Father. So some of that stuff you shouldn't read. Uh, some of it's okay, you know. But really where you should stick, you know, stick your nose in is the Bible because the Bible talks all about this stuff, and it's about the king. And so Daniel chapter 2 is one of those passages where uh, we could, the danger is that we could get caught up with looking at the horses and completely miss the king. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, after Daniel explained the dream to him, was caught up with the horses and completely missed the king you know, in, the, in, in the prophecy that, uh, that, was his, that was his dream. So what I'm going to do is, uh, in order to spend time looking at the king, which we'll, do mo- we'll spend most of our time looking at the king, in this case, the king is the stone that was, who, who, that was cut out with no human hands, uh, this kingdom that's coming. We'll spend most of our time looking at that, but to get there, we have to look at some of the horses. And so that's how, that's how we'll begin, uh, the rise of kingdoms. So there, are, uh, so there are four kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar had this, had this dream about. And as you remember, because it feels like forever ago, uh, we, so I unpacked chapter, the beginning of chapter 2 with you, and the king had said, look, I, I want you to tell me what the dream is. If you don't, you're going to die. And by the way, I'm not telling you what the dream was. So you, uh, you interpret the dream for me without me even telling you what the dream was. Daniel prayed, and God revealed the dream to him. And if you remember in verses 20 through 23, Daniel's his response was the response that we should have to like passages like Daniel chapter 2. He said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, who belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. Uh, just, I mean, it's so important for us to remember that. He changes times and seasons. Not, not kings, not governments, God does. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise. what is in the dust to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. And so Daniel just praised God for who God is in light of God revealing this dream uh, or the interpretation of the dream to him. And so Daniel approached the king and just said, you know, King, here's your dream. You saw a great image, uh, this image, mighty and exceeding, uh, exceeding in brightness, stood before you. Its, its appearance was frightening. You lost sleep over this thing. The head of this image was of gold, its chest, arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its, its feet uh, partly of iron and part, partly of clay. Now, before I even go any further, what's in my manuscript is more than what I'm going to say today. So if you, if you want a little, you know, if you want more information on, on some of this or my take on some of this, you can go on our website sometime this week and you can read uh, the manuscript. But for the sake of time, we don't have time to get to everything, <laughs> right? Uh, so what I do want to say is there are two different views about this passage. And I'm just going to say this briefly. There is the Greek view, and then there is the Roman view. This was one kingdom that believes that uh, these four kingdoms, like the, 
like the Medes was one kingdom, the Persians were another kingdom, Babylon was the first one, and then Greece. The, Greece was the iron, uh, the iron legs. The Roman view uh, believes that, you know, obviously the top is Babylon, the chest are the Mede, Medes and Persian Empire, both em uh, kingdoms brought together. The bronze uh, represents Greece, and then the legs represent Rome. That's the Rome view. Uh, what's interesting is those who hold to the Greek, uh, the Greek view, most of them, not all of them, most of them tend to be on, lean towards the liberal side. They're you know, kind of skeptics of the Bible. Uh, everybody agrees that Daniel was written before the Roman Empire. Conservative Christians like myself believe it was written when Daniel said it was written, during Babylon, which means, which means that, that God revealed two empires that were coming, uh, that would come after Daniel's death, Greece and Rome. That's the Roman view. Uh, I, I, I believe that Daniel wrote uh, Daniel, why he was in the, during the Babylonian uh, captivity. Skeptics who don't believe the Bible is supernatural or that it is the word of God have a really difficult time with that view. Just, just want to throw that out there. Uh, it's interesting, <laughs> uh, a lot of times the motive of like archaeology is to disprove the Bible, and what winds up happening, like we learned this week, it just reaffirms the Bible. You know, I think uh, there were sections of Zephaniah and I forget what, uh, Nahum that were found in more of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were, that were uh, uncovered. Uh, Portions of the Dead Sea Scroll include Isaiah, and what startled skeptics, what they were surprised by, is that portions of this Isaiah scroll that, they, that's, that was over 2,000, I believe over 2,000 years old, or about, or about that, that, the tr that our translation of Isaiah is spot on just about with, with a portion of Isaiah that dates 2,000 years ago which blows any skepticism of, I think, any skepticism of the, the, the Bible because it was translated from, you know, all over generations that it cannot possibly be accurate or reflect what it used to say. That's a bunch of baloney. It's, uh, it's the Word of God. And so all that, that wasn't even in my manuscript, and so that was extra um, to, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, um, thank the nursery workers on your way out uh, if, if we go late. So, so the Roman view. So the Roman view, I just explained it to you. Uh, the, I believe the legs are, are, represent Rome. Uh, the feet, I don't know what the, uh, the feet are possibly, possibly Rome back in that day. It's possible that the feet represent another type of kingdom that's yet to come. I'm not going to get into all those details because that's just staring at the horses right now. I just want to spend time looking at the king. Uh, and, and, and here's the point, that uh, God, through Daniel, wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know that God raises up kings and he deposes them. He is sovereign over them, they are not. The power that they have was given to them by God, period. And that truth is the same, uh, just as it was true for Nebuchadnezzar in that day, it's true today, right? Uh, it, like, the, if you're wigging out over what's happening in our world, stop it. God is sovereign. 
That doesn't mean you need to be a doormat or that you need to be passive about issues of justice or immorality or whatever. We should speak into those things. But at the end of the day, uh, there's a kingdom that's coming that will blow to pieces every kingdom that has come, that has come before it. And so, uh, and that's the point. The, the point of Daniel chapter 2 is there's a king coming. And this king is the king of kings and lord of lords, period. And so what's interesting with, with, these, with these kingdoms, and I'll just, I'll just point this out real quick, quickly, is that with, uh, with each part or each section of, of the statue, uh, I mean, each metal is harder than the previous metal, right? So gold is pretty soft. Silver is a little harder. Bronze is a little more, is, is harder than, than, than silver, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure. And then, and then iron, well, iron breaks stuff. That's why, they made, that's why they made weapons out of iron in those days. And so, so the point is, is not these kingdoms. The point is there's a king that is com- coming, the king over, over kingdoms. And that's where I want to focus most of our time. So, with, again, just going back to the way Daniel, Daniel's posture just is, it should serve as, as a reminder to us of the type of posture we should have towards government, uh, our leaders, and, uh, and those that God has placed in authority around us. And that is one of respect. Notice what Daniel said here. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked, evil king. But Daniel starts off by, uh, before he even interprets the dream, he starts off by saying, O king, then he refers to him, king of kings. He then refers to him uh, as the king who had power and, and, and might and glory. But he didn't stop there. So he, so he recognized Nebuchadnezzar's authority, but then he reminded Nebuchadnezzar of who gave him that authority, right? So the reason why our president is the president, regardless if you think he's the president or not, uh, is because God put him there. And, and like we, we should take our cues from Daniel. Uh, I, I believe Daniel prayed for Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, what we'll learn later on in Daniel is that Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar. Strongly disagreed with Nebuchadnezzar's policies, strongly disagreed with the gods that Nebuchadnezzar worshipped, and even spoke into that. But you could see that Daniel, that Daniel really cared for this king. And, uh, and, and so, as, as the church, we, we should care for those who are in authority over us by praying for them. Right? I said this at the first service, and I, don't, I feel like I, I'll say it again. I'll probably, I might get in trouble. Who knows? But... Um, like, when our president walks up a flight of steps and he trips three times, instead of laughing and mocking him and telling everybody, look, what a, look, look what of a buffoon of a president we have, we should pray for him, right? We should, we should pray for him. The guy needs Jesus. And he needs to be saved. He, need, he needs God to intervene in his life. And so does the rest of Congress and everybody else uh, that's in government mostly. Um, just saying. That's not judgment. That's just looking at fruit and judging people by the fruit. Uh, okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on. The stone, the stone that came and just leveled the statue, it hit the feet and broke the statue into pieces, 
uh, is, is the kingdom of God. In verse 34, which we looked at, he said, you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken into pieces and became like what? Chaff. Now, in Wyoming, you know what chaff is. Right? So, so, and if you don't know what chaff is, just wait until summer comes, probably about July or August, when it gets windy and the dust starts blowing, um, that's kind of what chaff looks like. Right? So, so the stone that, that hit the feet of the statue and broke it into pieces and the result of it was chaff, is, that's what the stone is going to do to the kingdoms of this world. Babylon forever, from the, from the rise of Nebuchadnezzar, will always be associated as or associated with mankind's intention to dethrone God. That was also true of the Mede and Persian Empire. That was also true of the Greek Empire. That was also true of the Roman Empire. That is also true of the American uh, Empire, if you want to call it that. It's true of the Chinese you know, Empire, if you want to call it that. Like, that, that is true of every government. Every government, the, the motive is not to honor God, although maybe our forefathers really hoped for that, but the motive is to dethrone God. That's the spirit of Babylon. And, uh, and, and so Nebuchadnezzar, I think, missed all that uh, when, when the dream was made plain to him. And the other thing that's interesting to note is that like, Babylon lasted about 65 years. It's a head of gold because of the four empires, it was the, the purest monarchy. Uh, like God's plan to rule the... <laughs> to, here's another one. I know this rubs against the grain of our Americanness. Um, God's plan to rule the nations is a theocracy. Not a, de- not a democracy, not a republic, a theocracy. So the head of gold is, is, uh, is, symbolizes purity in terms of Nebuchadnezzar did what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do. He didn't need to go through bureaucracy. He didn't, there, was no vo- there were no votes. There, were, there was none of that. Uh, his son and those who succeeded him, they're the reason why or part of the reason why uh, the empire of Babylon fell. And then uh, the, the, the Mede and Persian Empire lasted for a little over 200 years, based on my estimates. And then the, the bronze section of the statue, Greece, that lasted for a, a little longer than the Mede and Persian Empire. And then Rome, well, you know Rome lasted lo- the longest out of all of them. I mean, it's the longest-running uh, empire ever, really, I, to, to my understanding. But for 500 or a little over 500 of those years, Rome pretty much dominated everything Rome wanted to dominate. But there is another kingdom that's coming. And this kingdom will outlast all of them because it will be forever. And, uh, and, and so the reason why we shouldn't lose our minds over the craziness of our world today is because there's a king coming. And what I can't help but notice is that the progression of metal represented in the statue does not point to evolution, it points to de-evolution. Like we are getting crazier and crazier as a people in, in, on planet Earth. Like nations are just going nuts, ours especially. Like the, uh, people have literally lost their minds. 
Like to, when you get to the place as a nation where you think you need to cancel, here we go again, uh, we, need to, we need to cancel Dr. Seuss, but we can put on the Grammys, two women, you know, mimicking sex acts on TV, that that's okay. And like I read this morning, just uh, that, that, that somebody was commenting, they were actually, this wasn't a disgrace, they were actually empowering women. Like, no, you're not empowering women. You've lost your brain. You're, you're dehumanizing women by doing that. And so that's where our culture has gone. And, and so the reason why we, don't, we, don't, we shouldn't lose our minds over this is because a king is coming. And he's going to level these kingdoms. And, and he's going to make all things that are wrong with the world, he's going to make them right. Jesus is coming. There's a reason why the tomb is empty today. Because he's coming back, right? He didn't need to hang out in the tomb. <laughs> he conquered death, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. We're going to celebrate the resurrection in two weeks, two weeks from now. This is the greatest, one of the greatest events in human history, aside from the birth of Jesus. Like, he rose from the grave. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead, and he's going to make all that's wrong with this world right. But make no mistake, God, God has been moving all of human history in a direction. He is purposefully orchestrating human history. Like I said at the beginning of this sermon series, that, that Satan is on a leash. It is a long leash, but it is a leash. And God, in his sovereignty, is able to take the evil that men do and the evil that Satan does and turn it around to accomplish his purposes. It doesn't mean that God is the, is the author of evil. What it does mean is that he could take evil and turn it around and make something beautiful out of it. Like I, I, I mentioned this before. I read this in a book. I... I outside the Bible, but I think the Bible supports this, that I believe that when God makes all things new, that he, is, he will be capable of even, of even redeeming the swastika. Let that settle on your heart for a little bit. Like He's able to do that. And so, so as he moves through human history, do you know what he was doing? He was paving the, the, the road, so to speak, to introduce his son into the world. Jesus, the stone, that, that Daniel, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about. Like, like with Greece, or the, empire, the Greek Empire, who, 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 started, who like, was responsible for getting that thing going? Alexander the Great. What did he do? He conquered a large part of the known world, right? And, uh, and, and what was the thing that he's most known for doing? Hellenized the known world. Well, what does that mean? Well, one of, one, of the parts, one of the things that he was responsible for implementing is that people needed to learn a common language, which is what? Nobody knows this? I gave it away. Greek. <laughs> okay, Greek. Like, like, so, so you had that happening. And then when Rome rose to power, what was Rome known for doing? Roads. So, so by the time that Jesus was born... You had people, for the most part, who spoke a common language, and you had the ability for those people to carry the news of Jesus' birth internationally to the known world. And so uh, this is why Paul wrote Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. This is what he meant when he said, But when the fullness of time had come, what fullness of time? People spoke a common language, and there was a road system that allowed for this to happen. 
When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of, as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. That's what God was, in, that's what God was doing. He was shaping and using Babylon so that you could hear the gospel. He was shaping and moving, moving uh, the Medes and Persian Empire and Greece and, and, and Rome so that you could hear the gospel. Like, God was in, in, in all of that. While Caesar believed, while Caesar Augustus believed that he was the savior of the world, something that I believe, that Psalm chapter 2 said that God scoffs at, uh, the true savior was born. And the group of people that were, that were told about the Savior being born were not dignitaries, they were not kings, they were shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for how many people? How many people? All the people. All the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the who? Lord. Christ the Lord. Not Caesar Augustus. Jesus this baby born in a manger. And while Rome oppressed its citizens uh, by her power and motivated uh, people with fear, uh, Jesus introduced the kingdom when he grew up. He introduced another kingdom in love. And he turned the world upside down as a result of it. While Rome expanded her empire through a, a might or through might and power, Jesus grew his with the offer of grace and a mercy that mankind did not deserve. Like Jonathan you know, cited this verse earlier. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for what? Your souls. For your souls. It's the greatest need of mankind is peace, but peace with God. And right now God is offering his terms of peace to the world. Come. Come, all you who are laboring and heavy laden. Jesus said, I will give you rest. Come, all who call upon the name of the Lord, place their faith and trust in him, then you will be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. You know how many stones uh, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about in his statue dream that broke the rest of the statue? How many stones were there? One. <laughs> One. Our world will say, that's just too exclusive. And uh, the Bible says, and God says, yeah, yeah, that is the only way to life, is through Jesus Christ and him alone. When, uh, when, Pontius, when, when, when Jesus was handed over to be, uh, to be tried and, hope, and the religious leaders were hoping that he would be executed, uh, Pilate asked Jesus, well, you know, so are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' answer to him is in line with Daniel chapter 2. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. And then uh, you know, Pilate, looking for a way to, to, to not be forced to execute Jesus, Pilate asked Jesus, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? To which Jesus said, and replied, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. <laughs> like I said before, leadership is like pizza. Some have more cheese than others. But at the end of the day, it's still pizza, right? Now you're like wondering, what kind of illustration is that? I don't know, I like it. So, but when it comes to... <laughs> 
when it comes to governors and presidents and kings. They are only there because of the God of creation who put them there. And uh, we need to be reminded of that. So Pilate handed Jesus over, and Rome did its worst. They crucified and murdered the Son of God. But Jesus said earlier, just so that there would be no confusion, he said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father, and, and you know, period. I have authority to lay my life down. I have authority to take it up again. Pilate, you want to you know, you know why you're able to crucify me? Because I said so. That's why. I've given you the authority to do that. Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb, and out of fear that his, that his body would go missing, uh, the religious leaders asked Pilate if, they, if, uh, if there could be some guards placed outside the tomb. So Rome and all of Rome's might and power tried to prevent a body from leaving the tomb, and Rome and all of Rome's might and power was unable to keep Jesus from walking out of that tomb. Amen? Like, that's the greatest news in the universe. And, uh, and it should shape and affect the way we live our lives. And the reason why Jesus was able to walk out of that tomb is, because, is the answer that Peter gave to Jesus when Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? Peter responded, he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right, Peter, and I tell you this, that on this rock, what rock? The rock of Christ, the confession that Jesus is the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not, what? Prevail against it. That's why C.H. Uh, Studd could say, uh, he was a missionary, he could say what he said. He left a professional career of what, cricketing, cricketeering, I don't even... I don't even I don't understand the sport. I've watched it once. I'm like, how, how does that work? Um, some say it's like baseball. I say, no, it's not. But he was a professional at that. He left that to be a missionary. And he, he said this famous quote. He said, some want to live within the sound of chapel bells, but I want to I run a mission within a yard from the gates of hell. Why? Why was he able to say that? Because Jesus is the Christ and, and on that rock, the church has been built, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. You want to know why? No tyrant, no empire, no government, not even this current administration will be able to silence the church. You want to know why they won't be able to do it? Not because of any craftiness that we have as American citizens or any power that we have in ourselves or, or the rights that we have or, so, or the illusion of rights that we have as Americans. It has nothing to do with that. You know what it has to do with? That there is a Christ who rules and reigns and is coming to set up his kingdom. Period. Period. And so <clears throat> Jesus said that there's coming a time. It has not yet come yet. But there's coming a time when all the tribes of earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's what Daniel chapter 2 is all about. Jesus is the stone that's coming to judge the nations. Later on in chapter 2 and verse 44, if you're looking in your Bibles, 
It says this, it says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that, the, that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. This dream is certain, and its interpretation, what? Sure. You know what that means? It's going to happen. It's coming. I don't know what it is about, about us. I, I, like we, I think we have spiritual dementia, I think, sometimes, when it comes to the fact that we will show up on Resurrection Sunday, and we're here, and, and many of you will dress in, you know, in your best. I'll just dress like this. Um, but, but like it's a special time, and it should be, and we celebrate it. But, but it makes little difference on our lives for some of us, or for some of you, right? Like we're so busy looking at the horses that we, that we don't take time to look at the splendor of the king and allow that to affect our lives, to deepen our affection for him. He's coming. I heard somebody say, I forgot, I forgot to mention this in the first service, but it was so good when I heard somebody say this. Jesus is coming to put Babylon down. Like he's throwing it down. Like I like UFC. Like it's like Anderson Silva in his, in his prime. One kick and you're out. Or Mike Tyson, if you're into boxing, one punch, 30 seconds, paid 50 bucks for a pay-per-view event, and, and then Mike Tyson knocked the guy out. Like, Jesus is coming, and there won't even be a fight. He's coming, and he will put Babylon down, the spirit of Babylon, and everything about it. He's putting it down. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, I love this. Let's read this together. Ready? It's talking about Jesus, by the way. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. What are the leaders going to do when Jesus comes? Sob. That's what they're going to do. All the leaders who are flexing their muscles right now, name-calling each other, President Biden called Putin a killer. Putin called Biden a killer. I'm like, what are we, like kindergartners now? <laughs> Our world leaders are like two boys in a, in, a, in a playground calling each other names. Jesus is coming, and he's putting Babylon down. And all the, all the leaders are going to wail on account of him. So... Uh, there's a theological word, and, I, and it's not important. I just want to, I, I, there's this Baptist side of me that likes letter, you know, words that begin with the same letter every once in a while. But this is important. The theological word is eschatology. How many of you have ever heard of it? Okay. Yeah, a number of you have. So if you haven't, it's okay. It's good. Like, it's not going to change your life. <laughs> but eschatology is, uh, is the word, it's a theological word. It means the study of end times, or the doctrine of end times. Somebody in, in Bible college said to me, or said to our class this, he said, the purpose of eschatology is always ethics. 
the reason why Daniel chapter 2 in there is in the Bible is not so that some author can write a book about who the next Danny Christ is. The reason why it's in there is to shape and affect the way you live your life today. Like the, so you will, you will miss the king if you walk away today thinking that Daniel chapter 2 is giving you a hall pass to build a bomb shelter, stockpile cans of soup and, and non-perishables so you can hide when the Antichrist comes. Like That's not what Daniel chapter 2 is saying. You know what Daniel chapter 2 is compelling us to do? To live our lives on mission. That God is moving in our world and he is using you and he's using me and he will use generations that come after us to accomplish his redemptive purposes in this world. And, every, and, and, and just as it's been true in the past, it is true now and it will be true in the future that regardless of what is happening amongst the nations, regardless of what kind of wars there are, regardless of what kind of tyrant is ruling and reigning, God will, will, will do one thing and, and that one thing is he will accomplish his purposes. He will, he will make all things new one day. And when Jesus comes, that's the reason why emperors and kings and presidents will sob. They will sob. Daniel never sugarcoated any, any of this with Nebuchadnezzar. He respected the king, but he shared truth but truth motivated by love. Later on, when we get to, I think, Daniel chapter 5, I mean, Daniel, there's an example of Daniel being pretty short with this king's grandson, um, but, not, but he was truthful. And he never dishonored anybody in authority over him. Not that I see in Daniel. And I think the reason why is because he knew who the true king was. It's God. And is. It's God. And the King of kings and Lord of lords is coming. He's come. He died on a cross. He was buried on, a third, on the third day. He rose from the grave. And guess what? He's coming again. He's coming again. I am sure of that as I am sure of my person standing up on this platform right now. Like, this is real. Jesus is coming, and it will be real. So what did the king do? What did Nebuchadnezzar do? I'll wrap this up here. He missed the king. <laughs> he missed the point, I think. So it says that then, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. Now, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar was worshiping Daniel. I think Nebuchadnezzar was trying to pay homage because uh, Nebuchadnezzar was a product of his time, paying homage to the God of Daniel without forsaking all his gods. Was Nebuchadnezzar a believer at that point? Absolutely not. We're going to find out in the next chapter. <laughs> he went from, hey, Daniel, you rock. Oh, I'm going to kill your friends now. They're going to go into a fiery furnace. Like, he was not a believer. He was wicked. So the king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And then he, then he um, this, is, this, is a, this is just a side note, a footnote that I think is really cool. Um, he said, uh, said the, the king gave Daniel high honors in verse 48 and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. So he's like a governor now or something to that effect. 
and chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. How do you think the sorcerers and everybody else felt when, David, when Daniel was, was uh, promoted to be their boss? Pretty awesome, right? Um, so he was, he was made uh, chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon, and uh, he, Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over uh, the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing, and I'm, I'm done after this. Where did the wise men come from that were looking for the one who was born king of the Jews? From the east. You know what I think? I think every generation after Daniel, leading up to the birth of Jesus, they passed down the prophecies that Daniel passed on to them. And they were looking for this stone that would level all other kingdoms. I think they came from Babylon or around that region. And when they saw this baby Jesus, they didn't throw up their hands and say, well, that was a waste of our time. (laughs) They bowed down and what did they do? They worshipped him. They worshipped him. Um, my question to you and to me is what are you looking at? Are you just looking at the horses? Or are you looking at the king? And in looking at the king, how has that shaped the affections of your heart for him? How is that changing your life right now? How has it changed your life? How will it continue to change your life? Um, If you're looking and focusing on the king of kings who will crush all other kingdoms, it will affect your life. It will change your life. It's easy to come to church on Sunday. Some of you might be thinking, no, not really. (laughs) It was pretty hard this morning. Um, It's easy. But how is your conviction that Jesus rose from the grave and is coming back again, how is that really affecting your life today? We're called to mission. One of the lessons we learned from Daniel is this. Faith is not a private matter. It's a public matter event. (laughs) We're called to live out our faith and and to explain it as well. Every single one of you in this room, if you're a Christian, you are an evangelist. You are on mission. You are called to share the good news with people who do not know it. you, You turn on the TV and you can see this world is lost. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. And, uh, and, and we have the gospel, and we're called to enter into our world and to engage it with the gospel, not hide from it. How has looking at the king, how is looking at the king changed, and how is it changing your life? Only you can answer that question. But I think it's a good question to ask ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for 
our time together. Thank you for every single person in this room. Thank you for everyone that's watching the live stream right now. God, thank you for what you're doing in and through Meadowbrook. God, we want to see an awakening in Cheyenne. We want to see a revival in Cheyenne. People need the gospel. And the only way they're going to hear it is, is through us. And it's not by watching us. It's also by hearing us. God, may we be a people whose lives and what comes out of our mouths jive. <laughs> that they complement each other. Our lifestyle and our words complement each other. God, make us that kind of people. We want to be that kind of people. Cheyenne needs that kind of people because Cheyenne needs the gospel. So God, use us for your glory and for the good of the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.